You're listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development, education, and parenting. Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host is Anne Gatzikowski. It's been almost a full year since we created this podcast, if you can believe it, and a lot has happened in the world and with our families over the past year. I know that one of the big milestones in your life, Elizabeth, has been adopting a new puppy. Mm-hmm. We probably shouldn't admit how much we talk about our dogs <laughs> in our Zoom meetings. Yes, and I will also caveat this by saying she's sleeping now, but if she wakes up and starts barking. That is my new puppy, Nolly, and hopefully she'll keep quiet. But our animals are certainly very important to our families. And I think that's probably true for many of our listeners. And children, children especially, are fascinated by animals from pets to farm animals to zoo animals. Yeah. And, you know, we've been wondering about how zoos and zoo animals have really been impacted by the pandemic and also just kind of wanted to really talk about, you know, what zoos can do for kids. So we wanted to invite Rick Schwartz, who is the spokesperson and ambassador for the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance to visit our podcast today. So welcome, Rick, to our podcast. We're very excited for you to join us. And if you could, when you introduce yourself, also share what your favorite animal is for our listeners. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the natural curiosity you all have for how our zoo family is doing during the pandemic. My favorite species, you know, I've been working with animals for over 25 years now. I've worked with probably 60 to 70 different species across my career. Uh, So I'd like to think I have a pretty good grasp on who the coolest animal is on the block. And I'm going to go with the binturong, also known as a bear cat. They're native to Southeast Asia. They're a rainforest species. So think of maybe a similar habitat that the orangutan lives in. So anything you hear about happening to the orangutan and their forest happens to the binturong as well. However, binturongs are not as well studied because they're very elusive in the wild. They're very hard to study. But in the zoo uh, where I I've worked with them and they are accustomed to working around people, you can establish quite a rapport with them. And they're just truly fascinating animals. And there is not a binturong that I have met that I did not fall madly in love with. So yes, hands down my favorite. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm the type of person that could speak upon their wonderfulness for days on end, but I will just leave with one of my favorite fun facts about them. When they uh, mark their territory, as we know, most animals use things that we don't think smell very good. It could be musk or stool or urine. Uh, when the binturong marks their territory, territory to our nose, which is not nearly as sensitive as theirs, it smells like freshly buttered popcorn or corn nuts. Interesting. So it's quite a lovely odor. That is one of the more pleasant ones. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, right there, if that alone does not pique the curiosity of your listeners to go investigate and learn more about this wonderful animal, I don't know what will. <laughs> So Rick, tell us about the San Diego Zoo and about how the zoo has fared during the pandemic. Yeah, overall, we've we've made it through. We initially closed our doors to the public on March 16th. And, you know, I think like many of us, we thought, okay, this will be a few weeks 
You know, the initial thought process, we're looking at three, four weeks tops, and we'll open back up with maybe some restrictions on mask wearing or whatever. We were closed for several months. And I can say, you know, as someone who's been at the San Diego Zoo for a long time, I started there in November 2000. I've worked hours before we're open, and I've worked hours after we've closed. So I know what it feels like to be there without people around. But it was really weird to be there in the middle of the day and not have anybody around. We did still have to keep our staff on as far as for animal care. They're considered our essential staff, our essential workers. The animals received their ongoing care. So our veterinary staff, our nutrition staff, the keepers and and wildlife care specialists were all there uh, working under new conditions, of course, of safety, but they were there. It was just unusual not to have uh, our guests, you know, we will have at the zoo or safari park, our sister facility, anywhere from one to three million people visit in a year. And to go from those, you know, large, vast numbers to suddenly the emptiness, it was unusual. The other part that really struck me was because we were closed, of course, we were not taking in the finances we get from admissions and from gift sales and food sales. As a nonprofit organization, we rely on those to feed our animals and have our staff being paid. So it was interesting as we started to look at, okay, how can we cover this? And of course, uh, we've had some money set aside for emergencies, but then to have our community step forward. Animal lovers in San Diego, zoo lovers in San Diego, and, and further away from our home, stepped forward and said, is there something we can donate to? Can we help? And the amount of donations that poured in to support our ongoing conservation efforts, because even though the pandemic's happening, the animals still needed their care and our conservation work around the world still needed to happen. So it was uh, really heartwarming to receive that kind of support. That is amazing. I quickly have a question. You know, we as consumers found a lot of, you know, hard to find items. Was there any impact with the production or anything from the pandemic side that affected the animals, especially with their nutrition or even their enrichment? Thankfully, no. Uh, One of the wonderful things about living in San Diego is we grow a lot of the food many of our species enjoy. Koala being an example, eucalyptus is the only thing they'll eat. So because we weren't reliant on that coming from a different source, we have our own sources where we feed them from. It was okay. And same with other plant species for other animals, bamboo for red pandas. We have hibiscus and uh, acacia that we grow for a lot of our species that would eat that kind of material. And thankfully, overall, the food supply continued without much issue. We don't rely on toilet paper for (laughs) for the animals or paper towels necessarily, the things. And we had a supply already of personal protective equipment. Prior to the pandemic, we were very careful about our interaction with our primates because many species can catch the common cold even. So we had on supply already uh, masks and face shields and and gloves and, and many areas already required that of our staff to wear. So as we moved into the pandemic, unsure of can this disease jump all species or just some species, uh, we required all of our staff to, to gown up and, and wear everything for protective purposes. Mm-hmm. So here's a question I think the children might want to know. Did the animals notice when the people weren't there and did they miss them? It's one of my favorite questions because the story that, that had this unfolded was just fascinating to me. Again, as someone who is, who's worked with animals over 25 years, I've been at the San Diego Zoo for over 20. For the most part, when you work around the animals and the public's there, the animals are very accustomed to them being there. There's very few things that can happen that the animals will be like, oh, I didn't know that person was there. You know, people will whistle or make clicky noises or come here, baby, come look, because they want that interaction. They try to do something that's going to spur a response from the animal. And the animals just go 
about their business. They, they, they've heard it all. They've seen it all. But when there weren't people there, especially the animals that like to people watch, our orangutans, our gorillas, they were kind of like, okay, so what's up? You know, and, and as, as maybe a staff member would walk by, they'd be like, oh, a person. Then on the other side of it, as we started gearing up to reopen and invite some public back in, we're limited on the amount we can have in. We weren't sure, well, wow, the animals have all become so accustomed to not having a public. What's their response going to be? And I was floored. I was not even at the apes, orangs, or gorillas. I was in front of the giraffe habitat doing an interview about reopening as guests started to come in. And all of the whole herd came up. I mean, and imagine, you know, it's a six <laughs> foot long neck. They're craning their neck over and around trying to get a look at all the people coming in. The animals were just as excited to have people to watch as the people were excited to come in and see the animals. Mm -hmm. So, and it was a response I didn't expect. I didn't expect that the giraffe would be that excited or curious, if you will, to see guests coming in and all of that. So it was fun to watch the animals people watch when we were able to reopen. Oh, I love that story. When I was a kid, we went to the zoo all the time. What, what is it about zoos and families? Why why are zoos so important to families with children? Well, I think there's there's two parts to that. The first part, it being a dad myself and, and having fond memories of my childhood, you know, you go to a place maybe like Disneyland, which I absolutely love. Say you have a couple of kids in the family. You've got a four-year-old maybe and a nine-year-old. Well, the nine-year-old, or, or maybe there's even more, maybe there's a 12-year-old there too. The older kids want to go on, on those rides that are a little more uh, spectacular and exciting and thrilling. And maybe the youngest is like, not for me. So then the, the family's kind of got to divide and conquer. What can we take the smallest ones on? What can we take the older ones on? Everyone has a wonderful time, but it's a wonderful time maybe not together. Whereas as a family, even if it's multi-generational, you come to the zoo, everyone has these experiences together. You can watch the oohs and ahs of the kids as they look at certain species, but you yourself also have those ooh and ah moments. And it's fun. A lot of the animal groups are families and you can kind of see yourself in their actions and their inner workings as a family. So I think there's the opportunity for everybody to have a shared experience at the zoo. The other part of the answer to, I think, what has always been so important and what, I, what I've lived my life to do, I truly believe as humans, we have an innate desire to be closer to wildlife, to have opportunities with nature. There's something there that, that draws us, no matter how long you've been in the city or not. And I will say, even if someone says, well, I don't like animals, I'm afraid of them. I have given plenty of presentations where someone's in the back of the room, they say they're afraid, but they're also kind of leaning forward because of curiosity. There's just something natural about that curiosity that we have. And so when you go to the zoo, that excitement, that interest, that feeling of connection to wildlife happens. And I think that's important for families, kids and adults alike to experience. Yeah, I think that's really true. Having the experience as a parent, bringing my child to the zoo at all different ages, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I'll, I'll even add to that too. A lot of people say, oh, my kid's only only one and a half. They're not going to get anything out of it. I disagree. I have seen little littles in a stroller, just eye locked, staring <laughs> at, you know, an animal moving by. And that's a deeply enriching thing for that child. Do they understand maybe the nuances of the species or what they're exactly looking at and the importance of it? Perhaps not. That'll be later when they're in fourth and fifth grade, maybe. But even as a baby, that's something new and exciting that is that is a part of our world that they're connecting with in that moment. So I, I think at any age, you know, it, it is really a great experience. One, one thing I was going to say, you know, when you were saying about how we as people kind of have this innate drive to be interested in animals and understand them, I think it's also because you don't expect to have so many similarities. And it's not quite a one-to-one, -one, but, you know, I volunteered at the Lincoln Park Zoo and I was studying animals and kind of collecting behavioral data. And, you know, there are so many aspects of the animal world that are very 
very similar to us. Even something that, again, isn't one-to-one, but the idea of a routine. Like humans are Mm -hmm. very much into having a routine. They like things the same. And a lot of animals do too. And so when you're kind of watching them and you're like, oh, they prefer this spot or they kind of do the same little like path in the morning. So I just, I do think that there's this aspect where it's like you go and you watch them and you think, oh, I can relate to that. I can relate to some of those behaviors and understand them a bit more. And I think it does go into a little bit more with parenting as well, because, you know, I do think that there are a lot of aspects of parenting in the animal world that, again, are very similar to maybe how we parent. And so I'm curious if there's any examples of species that might have a very similar parenting style or, you know, aspects of. So yeah, it was a long-winded question, but I'm very curious where we can draw the similarities in parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, there are many species that I think people would be surprised at how they can see sort of their own family dynamic in the social construct of that group. I think the easiest one, though, to point to would be gorillas, orangutans, chimpanzees, your, your great apes. And and kind of just one, one quick jump back to what you were saying. You were saying that you don't necessarily see uh, direct comparisons, but I would also support that in that there are, because when you're studying animal behavior, when you're, when you're going into learning more about animals, the foundation of animal behavior is psychology 101. The root of the human psychology that we study for human behavior is drawn off of studies done with animals and vice versa. So when it comes to a comparative of, let's say, a gorilla troop, uh, this is a family dynamic. You will see siblings wrestling, teasing each other. You'll see that one kid who's always got to just needle dad. You know, is this something about pushing dad's buttons and then running away? Mm-hmm. You'll see auntie step in and help or older siblings step in and help just as much as play and wrestle with as well. So you you take the time to sit and watch these animals and their, their environment and how they interact with each other. The part that I think is even more heartwarming is you start to see some of yourself. And if not some of yourself, you see, you see something that is not not just similar, but almost a reflection, if you will, of our human world and, and our human behavior in theirs. And I think that, again, draws in that much more importance of why we need to do that, because you can hear about conservation efforts being needed. You can hear about work being done. But when you have that moment to see yourself in the eyes of that species and understand that a lot of the challenges they face in the wild are because of human activity, that means the solution is human. And we can make that happen. And I think it's a very important part of, of why zoos must exist. Aside from the conservation work they do, it's the connection to the general public, to the wildlife. You know, that makes so much sense from a child development perspective as well, because when you watch children at the zoo, they always look for the babies. It's like they're looking for themselves, right? They're looking right. for animal families that remind them of their own family. Exactly. You you naturally, especially at that age, you want to see yourself in that dynamic. Where do I fit in? Where's somebody I can, can relate to? Can I see something something in this that is something that I can see myself being a part of. So absolutely, when they see the youngsters, they have that moment of connection for themselves. They can relate. Okay, so it's time for a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just two shakes of a lamb's tail. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
everyone. Let's take a moment to talk about today's sponsor. Did you know Britannica designed a safe and trusted site that allows kids to be just that, kids? On Britannica Kids, you'll find content from great intellects across the globe, including leading educators, Pulitzer Prize winners, and Nobel laureates. And it's all designed with kids in mind. Go to kids.britannica.com kids30 for 30% off your subscription today. Because the news around us changes by the second, reliable information is more important than ever. Consider supporting our quest for the truth with a Britannica Premium Membership and gain access to over 1 million pages of fact-check content. Go to Britannica.com premium30 and get 30% off your subscription today. What about a child like our friend Elizabeth here who has a special interest in animals when it's something that they're just so passionate about? What advice do you have for parents and how to nurture that passion? I would say for any parent, you know, a broad stroke here on this answer would be regardless, whatever your child's interest is, open those doors for them, support them in their passion. And they might change their mind and move a different direction later on, but just don't be a barrier. I was so blessed. My parents never, ever once stood in the way of, of my draw towards animals. And as I got into to junior high and learned you could do it for a living, you could work with animals for a living, I was like, that's what I'm doing. End of story. And I even had a, a high school counselor. I found out from my parents. He, he called them and said, look, it's not a real career. We really need to get him on track for you know something that fit into the bubble of what that high school counselor thought was a proper career. And my folks were like, there's no stopping him. We can only support him. And I'm so thankful for that because it is a career that some parents would probably say no to because you don't make a lot of money. You usually work for nonprofit. It's not this, you know, big, spectacular career that most parents aspire their children to do better than them necessarily, but it's a career of passion. And I, I can't say enough about that if your child's passionate about animals and wildlife, there's a love in them, there's a drive in them that is deeper than what any other thing you may have planned for them could do for them. Having been in this career path for so long and, and dedicating my life to it, I can tell you there are more adults than not that come to me going, yeah, man, I envy you. I thought about doing work with animals but you know, I just I figured I should I should go and do this, and they're they're doing a different job that they regret. They can do it. They make money. They've got all the things. But the thing that I have that I love is that every night when I go to sleep and every day when I wake up, I don't feel like I'm working in the sense of I'm doing something that's oh, I got to trudge through the weekend. I'm excited about what I get to do. The relationships you build with animals is just not measurable. So as a parent, if your child shows that love and interest in animals, stay out of their way and see what you can do to to help them out because it's pretty awesome to watch that awesome and unfold. Well, I know here at Britannica, we publish a lot of resources for children and adults too. Animals are one of the very top popular subjects. So even if your career is not about animals, there's so much interest in animals. So learning about animals and learning how to care for an animal teaches us about more than just zoology. It teaches us to care in broader ways. And I'm wondering if there's a connection here with the broader work that you do with the wildlife Alliance and caring for the whole planet. Well, absolutely. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is the overall nonprofit organization that is truly
truly a, a global conservation organization. They're, they're located on, on almost every continent uh, on the planet doing conservation work with conservation partners. We just happen to have this amazing San Diego Zoo as part of that and our safari park to the north. When it comes to, you know, you start with that puppy or, or the, the pet at home, there's responsibility you learn, but there's also empathy and compassion. Uh, you're, you're caring for another life that also then you have a relationship with. There's not a single pet owner in the world that would deny there's a special bond and relationship there, but it goes beyond just that pet human. It's a living thing. And then for me personally, I mean, I've always gravitated towards and loved animals. I didn't understand or know the conservation component until I started really pursuing it as a career in college and realized, wow, I, I just want to be able to work around animals because I love them so much, but it's, I would be doing a disservice to all of them if I didn't then start talking to people and educating others about what's going on in the wild, what's happening to these species in the wild. So by association of, of caring for animals, you start to see, well, wait a minute, that species is going away in the wild, or this one is, is getting fragmented and needs our help. Uh, what can we do different to support them? So, you know, the connection of caring and loving for an animal, then wanting to do more for being a good steward of the planet and be thoughtful in our way of behaving in the world around us and how do we impact it, uh, it goes hand in hand. There's there's no way around that part of it. And, and that's what I love about what I do as well, because I see people coming into the zoo or safari park, they fall in love with a koala, and then it's like, well, what can I do to help? Because I hear they're, they're having challenges. And we support that because we're doing conservation there. We can partner with the public. We can partner with our, our conservation scientists and, and make a difference for everybody because the conservation is reliant on the people. And that's, that's one of the things I think we've gotten so used to the habit of blaming people for the problem, but the reality is the solution is within the people as well. And it's a very important component to conservation. Yeah. And I think that your zoo, the San Diego Zoo, is in a, a fortunate position where you're in California and you're, you're near the coast. And so you can really connect some of the conservation efforts with what's going on in your state. And I'm thinking, you know, specifically in my head that's coming to mind are seals. But, you know, a lot of other zoos may, you know, have more exotic animals where they don't really have have them in that state. But at least with you, I think there's probably a little bit more of that connection to what's going around where people live. I, I mean, I'm assuming. Well, I, I don't want to brag necessarily, but <laughs> San Diego County does have the most biodiversity of any county in the entire United States. I did not know that. And it's for the very reason you mentioned. We have the ocean and the coast. We have inland. We have the desert and we have the mountains all right here. So putting all those biomes together creates this biodiversity within our own neighborhood our own backyard. But I also want to say too, that all zoos, all accredited zoos work together. We, we can't do this alone. San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, that last part, alliance, we have to work together. And we are, we're working together with people all around the world, but we also work with other accredited zoos. So anybody listening to this, if you have a, a zoo in your area or you're traveling to a place that has one, don't be bummed that it's not the San Diego Zoo because we work with them. I'm sure of it. You know, they do conservation work as well. And that's, that's where the future is going is that zoos are networking now, relying on anywhere from 50 to 100 years of knowledge of animal care and animal expertise, and now taking that and putting it towards those that need help in the wild. You know, we have elephant sanctuaries right now in Africa that we're working with them to better the opportunities for orphaned babies to make it back out into the wild. You know, uh, anything from, from that to uh, assisting with, you know, koalas that are being saved from those fires that happened a couple of years ago. You name it, the, the information and knowledge of zoos is so important. So yeah, I absolutely say uh, we're 
we're fortunate to be here in San Diego, but if you can't make it to the San Diego Zoo or our safari park, support your local zoo because they're doing amazing work as well. So conservation means that you are protecting endangered animals that might not survive in the wild. You're raising awareness, educating people and encouraging people to care about what happens in the wild. What else? Are you, you're also doing research? Absolutely. Conservation means a lot of things and conservation can show up in a lot of ways. I want to start this answer though with it's someone listening at home can be a part of conservation. Sometimes we hear things like this and we think it's something that someone does in a far off land. You can be a part of conservation simply by picking up trash in your local park or even in your front driveway or, or the street because that stuff flows down. It, whether the rain washes it into the creeks and rivers or the wind blows it or whatever, it becomes uh, a pollutant in our natural environment. And sometimes we don't think our own backyard or region is an exciting place that needs conservation, but it does. Birds and amphibians, reptiles, small mammals, they're all there relying on that environment. So anybody can participate in conservation on one level or another. Now, a little more to what you were stating, what we do as an organization. Yes, everything you mentioned. We educate, we help endangered species by creating breeding programs, you know, the California condor, the giant panda. We've got a, a rhino project right now, which is just going to be amazing, or is amazing, I should say, for the southern white rhino helping the northern white rhino. But we also work then on our conservation efforts with organizations around the world. So an example, in Kenya, uh, we work with different groups there that the community is doing conservation for their wildlife. We can bring in funding for them. We can bring in our teams to help support what we've learned caring for, you know, elephants, giraffes, rhinos in the zoo environment. How can that help then these wild counterparts? And then also education. A lot of the funding we offer helps with education for the local community or funding anti-poaching rangers. And so the work of conservation takes many levels, but it's really important to understand that every level involves people. Uh, we have to work with people to make this successful. And so conservation as an activity is many, many different things with the ultimate goal being able to create a better world for our wildlife and for the people. You know, I think we can go full circle and come back to where we started and talking about zoos during the pandemic, during this very unique time in history. As we look at spring and summer, as things start to open up more, as families start to get out more, do you have any advice or tips or encouragement for families to, to get out and visit zoos? Well, obviously, the, the first and foremost thing would be to follow the, the local regional rules of what's still in place because of, of the pandemic. We want people to get out and enjoy, but we want it to be safe. Uh, right now at our zoo, at the San Diego Zoo in the Safari Park, we are open to the public with restrictions. Uh, you have to wear a mask. There's a brief health screening before you go in. And also because we're limited on the amount of people we can have on property at one time, we have a system where you have to actually get your ticket online beforehand and reserve a spot, essentially. It's like a reservation system. Uh, and that way it guarantees your spot. If you just drive up and want to go to the zoo that day, you may not get in because we're limited on how many people can be on grounds. I can't speak for other zoos, so I highly recommend anybody wanting to get out and enjoy their local zoo or, or traveling to an area that has a zoo you want to go to, go to their websites and see what their updates are. If, if you can't find any, I guarantee you can find a contact us form either on that website or a phone number, and you can call and find out or send that form in just to make sure your expectations going 
going in are set appropriately to minimize your frustrations because it's going to be a wonderful time. So why not start off on the right foot? Can you recommend any virtual zoo experiences that might be available online? Well, uh, that was one thing that really took off uh, for us when the closures happened because everybody still wants to be connected to wildlife. We have uh, online HD cameras. If you go to our, our website, you can either go to sandiegozoo.org or safaripark.org, but the main one, short for San Diego Zoo Wildlife Land. So it's sdzwa.org. And you can find then our cameras. And the cameras are, I think there's 14 of them. So there's some of the zoo, some of the park, it's polar bears, it's elephants, it's giraffe. Uh, so it's great online content to watch behavior. Also with on our websites too, we have the whole animal facts page. You could lose a whole day going through this and it's been well curated by our team of writers. Uh, we have a, a journal that we maintain every month that is for our members, but those same writers who do that research for that journal also produced all those pages on the website. Pretty good depth of knowledge there for you. And those webcams are, are great for you know, just taking a breather at work or from your mm -hmm. virtual learning uh, from school at home, whatever you need. Just go, go join the draft for a little bit or something. Yeah. Animal facts are always so much fun to read. So I definitely just want to reiterate doing that for parents because especially as spring break is coming, if you're trying to think of things to do or conversation to have, animal facts are great. I remember, again, at the Lincoln Park Zoo, a lot of our volunteers would be there with little carts to share facts. And I remember the one with, again, you can fact check me here, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the giraffe, the purple tongue was kind of its sunscreen because it's always up in the trees. And so that alone is like a fascinating fact of oh, that makes sense, a natural sunscreen. Yeah, and I, I would say, again, as a parent myself, one of the more fun things that we have is trivia, where we do research on some animal facts, or as my job's just what I do, uh, and then we, we make some fun little trivia, whether we're on the road somewhere or just sitting at home because of COVID, and uh, test the kids on some fun animal facts, give them some A, B, or C options and see what they come up with. That's a great idea. Well, Rick, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I think we could go on for hours and ask you more questions about more specific animals any parting words for us about animals or about your work? You know, just a reminder to everybody, no matter where you are, get a pair of binoculars and, and just look off your balcony or go for a walk outside. Nature's all around us. We have urban wildlife as well, and it's worth keeping an eye out for it. Get back in touch with nature, even if you can't go out hiking in the forest. And again, I can't say enough about our online presence for our video cams and, and everything else we have. Again, that's SDZ wa.org and keep an eye out for wildlife and always enjoy nature all right we'll do that thank you rick thank you thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of raising curious learners special thanks to our guest this week rick schwartz spokesperson and ambassador for the san diego zoo wildlife alliance for giving us a peek into how zoos have been affected by the pandemic and for reminding us how important and exciting they are for children and families I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host, as always, is Anne Gazakowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. The barks you hear in the background are courtesy of my dog, Nolly. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, and share with your friends. This episode is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica, Incorporated. All rights reserved. 
everyone. This episode is brought to you by Britannica for Parents, a free site with expert advice for your tech-savvy family needs. Whether it's explaining Zoom to your three-year-old, navigating your child's new friendship with Siri, or more serious topics like talking to young children about the police or sending your kids back to school during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're here to help with resources for parents of all age groups. Check us out at parents.britannica.com. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.